This week, three sides of the coin, we travel back to the glory days of the 80s rock and roll in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're joined by Johnny O'Neill from Dare Force. And he's got a little Creatures of the Night story to share for us. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. Three Sides of the Coin. You got the three originals here. Okay. Are the originals. That's right, the remastered originals. The, re- the remastered <laughs> Remastered originals, Mike, Tommy, and and Mark. He's using the Liz moniker today. That's why we can see him. Still, because um, I'm still using her fucking tablet to do this. Hey, look, I've been getting a lot of love with people. Like you've never looked so clear. <laughs> I know they've never understood what you really look like. Um, so before we get to this week's guest, who is an amazing conversation, mm-hmm. um, we need to. Well, let me just try this one more time tommy are there any comments to read yeah i candy tv on, he's got comments this, yeah i candy tv on this week's show said kudos to mark for calling out the eclectic alice albums of the 70s and now i get the connection to the gene solo album we're talking about uh soul station and um, peter chris last week I, I i i i gotta laugh somebody comment i think it was on a facebook page where they're like Oh, you can't compare those two. They're different ages. Peter was much younger when he recorded that than Paul is when he recorded. I'm like, age has got nothing to do with this. Then I go, did you listen to the episode? And guess what the answer was? No. No. I didn't listen to the episode. Why do you comment if they haven't listened? That's just so weird to me. It's like, yeah, listen and then comment. That's that's how it works. That's how it should work. Um. Oh, I want to mention real Mike, quick. You're gone again. Hello. Yeah, there you go. We lost you again. Uh, uh, crazy. All right, let's make this quick. Real quick. We are going to be doing a giveaway. Can we see this? How do I get this? We cannot. Oh, damn it. Not at all. What is it? All right. It's, it's, the, it's the Eric Carr Rockology picture disc. Ooh. We are going nice. to be doing, we got three of them to give away. We'll be setting up a contest to do this stay tuned for that mark you had something you wanted to do a shout out to i did i wanted to thank the lovely um cindy wickerman for the nice comment um on uh, on our facebook site and uh, she's digging uh the left some left for dead music and i just wanted to point something out i, I don't know just pretty substantial thread uh, if you guys saw it I, I just wanted to say the irony of people criticizing rock lyrics we're on a kiss site i could see if this was like a pink floyd site or you know something with a little more heft to it lyrically but um i just thought it was funny there was a few people that were criticizing the lyrics to my band song rock and roll dogs and i'm like um it's rock and roll dogs is the name of the song (laughs) it's like you know should we you know go to milton's uh, paradise lost or uh, Chauncer or, or, or Canterbury Tales or you know Thoreau is that where we it's fucking rock and roll and you're on a kiss site come on guys 
Yeah. Put a log <laughs> in her fireplace. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and like I said, I, I just want to uh, thank Cindy for her, her kind words and, uh, and all the other, they, look, there was a lot of left for dead love on there. And I want to say thank you guys that it means a lot to me. And, and as you watch this episode, that was another reason I wanted to bring it up. It, you know, our guests today had an amazing run and uh, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of kiss stuff in it, but boy, oh boy, what a, uh, what a different time what, it was. What, what this, a rock and roll story we got. Oh this my week. God, you're going to really love this. But like I said, you know, I, I, I could empathize along the way. Cause you know, I, I, I understand where that guy was coming from on, on a lot of, you know, support, I, I guess the best way to say this, support your local bands, support people who are, you know, putting new music out for people to dig because, you know, it's, it's, a, at, especially at this time, you know, uh, in, in our lives, it's, it's a labor of love and that's why people are doing it. And you're going to get, you know, the best that everybody has to offer. Um, so, you know, support, support your local bands, you know, look, look wider than what you may hear on the radio. There's so much great stuff out there and, you know, I step just step to say outside that. the kiss comfort zone and listen to something else. So then without further ado, our special guest this week, Mr. Johnny O'Neill from Dare Force. Enjoy. Want to get your official three sides of the coin logo and shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Everybody, we want to welcome from Minnesota. There's nothing wrong with somebody from Minnesota. We want to welcome Johnny O'Neill. Now, if you're from Minnesota, especially upper Midwest, yep. you might know Johnny from Dare Force, a band that I don't know. When when did you co-found that? Oh my God. Um, well, uh, I was 18 years old. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's put, let's put, let's, yeah, let's just yeah. put it, the, you know, if, if you were around Minneapolis in the, at least in the, in the early eighties and stuff like that. We had an 11 year run from, uh, 76 to 87. The there original you go. Um, yep. Full time, 50 weeks out of the year, you know, four or five nights a week. I just, you were you were like the 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 king of the regional band band so to speak. I mean, you were just everywhere. We we were um, yeah we we definitely were the um, the big dogs there during the, during our day and and had a had a great run. It was a lot of fun, um, and I'm I'm still at it. So. <laughs> Yeah, you, we'll 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 talk about that a little later. You've just got your yeah. own solo project started now. Yep. Um, produced by Dare Force's co-founder. Yep. My blood brother Brian Bart. The two of us started the band when we were eighteen. I've known Brian. We've played together since we were nine years old. Grew up across the street from each other, and I've yeah, I've known him. You know, virtually all my life. So, yeah. So, so, so the so the Kiss fans don't start tuning out. The reason Johnny's here is when you were in Dare Force 
back during the Kiss Creatures of the Night tour. December of 82. December of 82. You got an incredible offer. Why don't you just give us the whole story? How How did it happen? What happened? Walk us through this because Creatures of the Night is the era that especially the three of us, but so many Kiss fans just love hearing any little minutia. Killer album, by the way. Okay, so here's the tale. Um, Literally the day of the show, um, we get a call from the agent that was booking us at the time. I'm trying to recall even who that was. It might have been Marsh Productions. I don't know. Anyway, um, um, Pat Travers uh, was supposed to open for them. This was at the Sioux City Civic Auditorium. And of course, we're in Minneapolis. Still so we get a call. I'm sorry? It still looks the same. <laughs> um, so we get a call, and uh, turns out that Pat Travers, um, they had played the night before. You know, they were you know, doing a run together, and they played the night before in Denver. And uh, Travers, all his gear was, there was a hellacious, you know, blizzard at the time throughout the Midwest and the West. And... Uh, their gear was stuck. They, they couldn't get out of Denver. Um, so all of a sudden, Kiss is in need of a, an opening act. And so our agent calls and says, hey, do you guys want to open for Kiss tonight? And we thought about it for a few minutes. And I, yeah, would I you, would, you, would you actually have to think about an offer like that for a few minutes? <laughs> I'm being totally facetious. Um, but uh, yeah, we obviously were like, you know, jumped on it immediately. Um, so it was crazy. We got the call. I don't know. If, I mean, this was like early afternoon. And um, so we, you know, got the crew rounded up. We were, we had a, a, a rider truck that um, we had bought, you know, one of the rental trucks, about a 26 foot truck. And the van traveled back in the day. We had a, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the JFK um, uh, Cadillac limousines, the JFK era. Um, yep. had, had one of those. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so we're driving, um, and I was behind the wheel most of the way, um, you know, straight down 35 uh, from Minneapolis most of the way. And the storm, the snow was so bad that there were parts of the highway where actually, you know, the freeway was down to one lane. Um, and there were, you know, as you got, you know, further into more rural areas, and there were two lane highways. Sometimes um, there were drifts of snow on either side of a lane. You didn't know if, you're, if there was going to be a car oncoming or not. So it's like, you know, we literally were putting our lives on the line for the show. <laughs> not to be too, uh, I mean, this isn't hy- hyperbole at all. It was crazy. Um, but anyway, it's so true. we finally get to the, sorry? I said, it's true. It, yes. Described it. That's exactly what it was. Oh, man. I mean, we're in the car and I mean, it was like, you know, walls of snow. So anyway, we get to the venue and we're supposed to go on. I don't know. I, I mean, I eight o'clock, let's say. And we get there. It was probably like 730. <laughs> and so we're, you know, just scrambling like hell. We had a three man road crew and, you know, under normal circumstances, they'd be there and geared be ready to go and we'd walk in with our, you know, guitars and ready to rock. Well, um, you know, it was, it was all hands on deck at that time. So we, we get to the loading dock of the venue and we're grabbing stuff off the truck. And um, I'm looking around 
and I see a couple people. There's one guy helping our crew um, load stuff out of the truck. Uh, it turned out to be Paul Stanley, <laughs> uh, actually helping bring in you know our gear. I look around. There's another guy dressed in leather from head to toe. I and and this was back in the day. It was the last tour that they were still wearing makeup. So of course, you know I. I didn't know what they looked like in, you know, uh, unmasked. So I, I, I saw this guy and I thought, well, he's got to be somebody. He walks up to me and goes, you must be with the front act of, hi, I'm Gene Simmons, sticks out his hand and shakes my hand. Just super nice guy. Um, so, you know, with the assistance of, of Paul, um, we did get on stage in the nick of time and, um, had a you know just a, a great set and then um later that night after the show and then of course we you know watched their show too which was awesome i, I don't know if you saw that tour but they had yeah the, I, uh, I was at i went to the show at the met center the the tank turret and yep. you know that that would spin and um vinnie vincent was playing uh guitar for him at the time um but uh god killer album um in fact we used to play that on our break tape all the time at gigs um you know to kind of tweak in the the pa uh, so but, i'm but, i'm assuming you guys were kiss fans you grew up as a kiss fan yeah well um it, as i got older certainly by that time and hearing that album um really i, I thought it was just killer tunes and you know the show was phenomenal and i mean how you know what's there not to like i mean that you know um some of those tunes off that album in particular just really stick in my brain. But so after the show, um, we had, uh, we were staying at a, I think it was a Hilton. Um, it was fairly, you know, it wasn't some, uh, you know, dive on the side of the road. Uh, we, you know, stayed downtown and it turned out to be the same um, venue that Kiss was staying in. Of course, they, they didn't spend the night. They, they hung out, there was a uh, a bar, I think it was the top floor of the hotel, and we hung out, and, you know, had a few drinks with them and stuff and talked. And and uh, Gene was saying, yeah, I, um, you know, I caught your set. You guys are really good. He looks at me, goes, are you were the guy in the red leather with the, the, with the, uh, the leather boots, right? And I said, yep. You know, I used to, at the time, um, I was, it, it's funny, I, I, my stage attire um, consisted of either spandex and leather, along with a pair of um, ladies' high-heeled leather boots that went up to you know mid-thigh. I'd gotten them at Dayton's, <laughs> and so uh, uh, yeah, to date myself. But uh, so he, you know, obviously, you know, watched the set. He wasn't just blowing smoke up uh, my posterior, but um, they were just really nice. Um, but you know, we hung out with them for a while. They left that night. We stayed. Um, so the next morning we're having breakfast in the hotel uh, restaurant and people are coming up thinking that we're Kiss. I mean, it was hysterical because, you know, again, it was. The, yeah. The you know, a lot of people didn't know what they looked like out of me. Exactly. Makeup. The last tour with makeup was the 10th anniversary tour. And um, so we thought, what the hell? Um, let's see now. I'm going to be, 
I, I was Paul Stanley, and you know, so we're signing autographs. Oh, you, <laughs> you, you played along with them? That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We thought, what the hell? You know, why, why, uh, you know, why uh, destroy their uh, their memories? So there's there's probably some poor souls running around. I was, around I was gonna I was gonna say there's probably some some creatures of the night albums on eBay that that now the Kiss fans are like. Dude, you got scammed. Those aren't real autographs on there, man. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, that is true. So I mean, we had a few people coming up, and you know, we we're kind of looking at each other, saying, "Well, you know, do we fess up?" And it was it was kind of just the silent agreement that no, we're 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 gonna run with this. What the hell? Let these people have you know some some uh, memories, and we're gonna have some fun with this. So yeah, and. Uh, so yeah, we we played along with it. Do uh, do you recall? Um, did Kiss? I mean, I, and maybe it was just because you got there so late. Were you able to do any sort of a sound check? Did they give you f full use of lights? I mean, did um, they put any restrictions on you? You know, they were um, very hospitable. Sound check. I I'm sure we didn't get there in time for that. Um, but you know, they there wasn't any um, you know we didn't get the shaft as often happens as you well know. Um, but no, they were very gracious. Um, it, you know, they've, I mean, geez, Paul Stanley helping load in our gear. I mean, I was to this day, I'm still kind of shocked by that, but um, no, they, do, uh, do you still have the road cases he touched? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the truck was sold long ago, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but um I've got another little side note too. My my current drummer Joaquin Becker, um, fabulous drummer, was in a, a band uh, with uh, Bryn Arns from the Twin Cities. A couple bands actually, Funhouse and then Rattling Bones. And those guys were out in New York for oh my gosh, eight ten years. And for a while they were managed by um, Bill Coin. Yeah, Kisses manager, of course. So those guys um, actually did a few shows with Ace Freely uh, on the East Coast. So Joe's got some some kiss stories of his own. It turns out I think Bill uh, actually stayed in his apartment for about a month. Um, you know, Joe found somewhere else to stay for a while. But <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so there's a connection there too. When when uh, when when you guys were opening um, for Kiss. What do you recall about the crowd? What was the crowd's reaction to you? Were they like, just get off the stage, we want Kiss, or were they welcoming? No, we, uh, it, it uh, was a very, um, a nice response. I mean, I, I, which sometimes isn't the case, but uh, no, we, uh, we went over well. And, um, you know, of course we played all of original material. Um, you know, we were getting some airplay of our own. So it wasn't as if we were a completely unknown commodity and certainly played the area. Um, right. Well. Yeah. You were, known, you were known regionally. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I would assume that some of the folks in the crowd knew who we were, but it wasn't as if, uh, you know, it wasn't Prince with the Stones um, dodging shoes, getting thrown at him or anything like that. So no, it was a very, uh, good response um you know gene seemed to like the show um uh it would have been nice to do some more dates but i imagine that travers was able to they finally dug their semis out of the snow and you know well the, the the and we had um 
Wes Beach on from the Plasmatics, but you know, the Plasmatics took a big chunk of that tour as the opening oh, yeah. act. They, 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 the Plasmatics opened the Minneapolis show. Really? I, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then didn't Night Ranger open a few dates on? And Motley Crew. And Motley Crew. Motley Crew opened like the last four dates in California. Uh -huh. The Plasmatics were the primary opening act. Yeah. On, huh. on most of it. of it. Yeah. What was fun too, um, since that time, you know, there are sites, as I'm sure you know, um, where you can find, you know, every date they've played from every tour and they list the opening acts, you know, for each show. And sure enough, you know, December, late December of 82, Sioux City Civic Auditorium, you know, Dare Force listed as the opening act. And um, I think it was, if not a sellout, you know, pretty close to it, despite the, the weather being pretty inclement. I, yeah, I remember it was, a, it felt like a packed house. Yeah. Because we were on Christmas vacation. That's why I went and we couldn't wait to go see the Creatures Tour. So mm -hmm. we drove out, but we, you know, this is before Google. So we were guessing on a map about how long we thought it would take uh, to get there. And it ended up taking us twice as long mm -hmm. to get there. I think I want to say it's usually like a five and a half hour drive to get there from Minneapolis. And it was, God, we, we were on the road for 10. Yeah, that's a hike. Well, I tell you, I mean, we, you know, thank God we made it there alive because yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought there's no way that we're going to play this show. I, I mean, we oh, may yeah. get killed along the way, but I, I'm going to, you know, we're going to get there. So, I mean, I was driving like a bat out of hell, you know, the roads were horse shit. And, um, you know, we, like I said, we, we made it just in the nick of time, but looking back on it, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Um, the, the weather conditions and I know we made it there in far less than 10 hours. I know that. Um, yeah. We, I just remember walking in and you were about halfway through your set at that point. Mm -hmm. And we just, you know, we took, I know we took a couple of wrong turns, you know, we're, we're high school kids. We didn't know any better. And we drove, borrowed my my friend's dad's truck and it just it maybe it was intended it just seemed like it took forever and i could have sworn we left really early in the early in the morning thinking okay well we'll get there by 2 2 30 mm -hmm. maybe we'll hang out we can get to see kiss go in or something like that and mm -hmm. we ended up literally showing up about halfway through your set <laughs> so you, yeah. you you didn't you didn't know dare force was plane did you tommy no i didn't i'm I, we want i remember I, that's one of the few things i actually remember i or two things number one i remember how crowded it was because it's not a very big arena it's like a a medium size arena i'm guessing it probably holds six seven thousand and then it, it seemed really packed yeah and i remember walking in and turning to my friend going it's their force what are they doing here because <laughs> i didn't know you know, because we, we heard there was a party going on. We, you know, thought we'd stop in and yeah. Well, exactly. Because we'd go and see you at um, like Mr. Nibs and, you know, yeah. all these different places that you would play. And because back then you could get in in high school and they wouldn't ID you at all. Well, so we would go um, to the clubs. Yeah, I think back then what the drinking age was 19. I, I yeah. Think so. It, it was it was 18 in Wisconsin because the whole thing was drive across the river and go drink in, in Wisconsin. Uh, 
and then wait for the Minnesota State Patrol right at the border. Yep. It was like, you know, fish in a barrel yep. coming yep. back to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. That was crazy. Was yeah. was was the KISS show the biggest crowd you'd played to? Um, because I know you had done some other shows, and I don't know the timing of them, but you had done a show with a bunch of other bands at the Met Center. Yeah, well, actually, 82 was an outrageous year for us um from january to december january of 82 um we played two shows at the orpheum theater in downtown minneapolis um two weekends in a row in january we opened for uh, shooting star one week and then the very next weekend wow. we opened for triumph wow i was at the shooting star show yeah that shooting, was shooting star is a band i never got to see live and wish i, I could have they were really good. It was the the first, you know, real concert date that we did. And I'm I to this day, I mean, I never you never forget um, you know, having the the blue intensity of a super trooper follow spot on you and you look up and there's you know, the the Orpheum is such a choice venue and you you know see it faces is. the balcony and you're I mean, it was just you had to almost levitating. It was the adrenaline was flowing so much but um so we did two shows um back to back at the orpheum and then uh ended up doing a um we headlined uh in uh puerto rico um san juan we did a show at the um you know there's the roberto clemente baseball stadium but right next to it is the hiram bithorn stadium it's a smaller it's it's an outdoor baseball stadium if you back in the day, they used to have, you know, the ABC wide world of sports and they'd have the, you know, the outdoor boxing matches, they were often held at that uh, stadium. So they, um, again, uh, we were serendipity, but uh, we did a show, we were the headline, there was a, a local radio station in San Juan that I uh, had a contest with local bands and the winners of the contest got to do the show with us. So we had, I don't know, five or six Puerto Rican bands in front of us. Um, the crazy thing about that was um, they, the promoters um, oversold. In, in fact, they I think some people had counterfeit tickets. Um, and so, you know, the, the venue, um, they couldn't get in. And so we, we finished the show and there's basically a riot happening out in the parking lot. I mean, people were we're pretty ticked off. So we were grabbing our gear and just thinking we, you know, get the hell out of here. So anyway, so we, um, we did that Puerto Rico. Um, and then, um, you mentioned the Met in October of, of 82. Um, we did another show that there was a radio station in town at the time, stereo 101. Yeah. I thought it was a radio. I thought it was a radio gig. Yeah. And they released a hometown album featuring you know twin cities bands with the guy doing the splits on the cover yes exactly yep. exactly mm -hmm. and so um we had i, I mean I, i'd say you know a bona fide hit um on my way was on the record and was getting mm -hmm. you know heavy rotation on their station um and then you know getting played around the midwest so we headline at the met um i think it was 12 12 000 people that night there um, so that was, uh, October. And, and, then, and you know, what's kind of funny there, John is, is you headlined the Met with more people in attendance 
than Kiss had at that same venue a few months later. (laughs) (laughs) On a Tuesday night. It was a a school night and the place was packed. Um, So, I mean, that uh, that was outrageous. But then later that same month, uh, we ended up doing a show on uh, was the lake shore of Lake Michigan in Milwaukee. Milwaukee was kind of like our second home. We, we played there all the time. And um, they had a, at that time, there was the, um, what was the, the, um, the, the baseball announcer, you know, the, the anti-disco guy. Um, oh, you know, they, they uh, Steve, up, Dahl, Steve Dahl. You know, they had to blow up the yeah. record. Blew up the records, yeah. Well, anyway, there was a um, a backlash with that, um, but there was a, a station in uh, Milwaukee. The, the call numbers escaped me, but they had an anti. Um, was would would that have been? Was it Laser? Or was Laser after that? W. Oh God, I can't. I, It'll it'll pop into my head at, at some point, but anyway, they had they had their own kind of anti-disco um, show, and so it was an outdoor gig on the the shorefront of Lake Michigan, and um, there were like fourteen thousand people there, um, and I'm try- There was a number of bands, um, the Shoes. <laughs> I remember. Oh yeah, that. they they um, the shoe the Shoes opened for Kiss in Rockford, Rockford, okay. Illinois. Okay. The shoes, um, there was, um, I'm trying to think some of the outlaws, um, Ricky Medlock was there. Um, and that's a whole nother story after the show, we partied with him and, uh, oh my God. Um, (laughs) we're, we may Um, be a kiss podcast, but we love all music. So, you know, you got a good Ricky Medlock story. Let's hear it. Well, he almost bit our singer at the time, um, uh, Dave Reese, who went on to sing for Accept, Except, and now, yep. is, and now is, uh, has his own career. He, he's yep. in Germany, or, uh, Italy, I should say. Yep. Um, but um, Dave was our singer at the time, and uh, Ricky walks up and, for whatever reason, pulls a Mike Tyson and just bites his earlobe. And I thought he was going to, you know, rip. Uh, Rip Dave's earring right out of his out of his ear. You know, we were partying. At, I think was, was, was he drunk or something? He had uh, to have been. He, there, there might have been a little uh, imbibing Some, going on yeah. at the time. Um, but yeah, that was hilarious. We were staying at a, at a. They put us up in a really nice hotel in downtown Milwaukee, and um, brought out a limo to take us. You know, to the show. We'd already left in our own JFK style limo. So later on, we found out they had this, you know, brand new one waiting for us, which, you know, we'd already left. But I'd never forget driving through this crowd to the stage. And it was like something out of a Beatles movie. I mean, there's, you know, people peering in the limo and, you know, knocking on the windows and, you know, hooting and hollering. And, you know, we're trying to make our way to the stage in the limo without you know, driving over anybody. Um, but, uh, but that was a blast. So that was October of 82. And then um, it t- the topper, you know, December of that year, we opened for kiss. So that's a uh, good year. Yeah, <laughs> m- most definitely. Most well, definitely. Let, back to the Puerto Rico show, how does a band that's big in Minnesota end up headlining an event in Puerto Rico? I mean, I got, I, 
I mean, n- nothing against you guys, but I got to yeah. imagine nobody in Puerto Rico knew who the hell Air Force was. Yeah. Well, um, it, that wasn't the only time something like that happened. And I, but um, back to you know, your question about the 82 show, there were some promoters in um, the Twin Cities and this happened a couple of times with us, but they, what they, their idea was, um, you know, and of course, Puerto Rico, I mean, it, you know, it's U.S. territory, but, um, you know, it's it, in some respects, it's, you know, a foreign country in terms of, you know, culture and so forth. But um, they thought, well, let's, let's market uh, a band. We can market them as this, you know, big, you know, American big deal band. Um, you know, we'll get them some airplay, you know, promote them before the show, uh, you know, build up the hype and, we don't have to shell out a fortune for them to play. Um, we'll have, you know, a good turnout. Um, I, we actually, I think we, uh, you know, we had airfare. We got four grand for the gig. We had airfare. We were put up for a week in this hotel in San Juan. We got a per diem. I think you basically also, got a paid vacation. <laughs> paid vacation, yeah, 10, ten grand to play one date. Um, and what San year was this? Um, this was 82, um, 82. Yeah. Yeah, That's pretty freaking good money. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't complaining. Um, (laughs) well, and again, let's, let's just remind John how much kiss was making on the creatures of the night tour. 10 grand. Yeah. (laughs) So you were making as much money as kiss. (laughs) That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if only we had done a few more dates in San Juan, but (laughs) <laughs> the, same, the same kind of thing happened um, in 86. We did a, a, a two month tour, tour 86, and that ended in Venezuela. And we did two shows in Venezuela headlined. We headlined at a uh, outdoor amphitheater in Barquisimeto and then headlined at, um, it was a, a basketball arena in Maracaibo. Um, and the same kind of thing. Um, promoters from Minnesota, well, let's take a a Minneapolis band and, you know, we can promote them as this huge, you know, American uh, metal rock stars. It was kind of funny. Um, the other band that uh, they had considered uh, along with us was Slave Raider. Um, I remember that one. Yep. Big at the time. Um, but we got the call. And so we ended up, um, that was the last leg of the, the two month tour. Started off at First Avenue. It was, was uh, the release of Making Our Own Rules. Um, so we did a record release show in January of 86 at First Ave and then proceeded to go through um, we two weeks in Colorado, um, two weeks in Arizona, uh, Texas. Um, and then the last leg was the week in, in Venezuela. Um, and that was... Now that, you know, the, all of that's got to be pretty pretty crazy and amazing when you sit here going well we're we're a band from minneapolis and we're on a you know a two-month tour we're in colorado we're in texas venezuela yeah i mean obviously you know when you go to milwaukee it makes sense you've got a following there because you're an upper midwest regional band right but when you break out of that and you know this is true for any band when you break out of your local region where you're the kings you can all of a sudden cross a state line and you're a nobody 
there's a great yeah. story, there's a great story of Bob Seeger playing a sold out Cobble Hall. I think it was the next day he was in Chicago playing a club to, you know, nine hundred people. He went from playing, you know, twelve thousand five hundred. Yeah. And I mean, then, was what for 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 you guys was that a bit of just like pinch me? I we just can't believe this. Well, we I mean I I didn't want to come home. I mean, here's the hilarious part of it. So the, the, the night that we're leaving Venezuela, we flew into Minneapolis and played Mr. Nibs that night that we got back from Venezuela. So this was like- That's know, road March. dogs there, flying yeah, so, in and landing and going to a show. <clears throat> so at, at this point, um, my stage attire consisted of spandex, no shirt, um, and the boots, of course. And uh, we're walking through the crowd at Nibs and people are going, what's with the tan? You you guys been in, in a tanning bed? I said, tanning bed? We just spent, you know, a week in Venezuela and, you know, two weeks in Arizona before that. So, um, but the show in the, the two weeks we spent in, in uh, Arizona, we played a week um, in Phoenix and a week in Tucson. And the week that we were in Phoenix, we played at a place called Rockers. Um, and Rob Helford, I, I think still has a home there. Long story short, Rob Helford shows up one of the nights that we played and catches our set. And I, you know, I'm talking to him in between. Uh, there was another band called, um, it was, it was an ACDC tribute band. Oh God, what were they called? High Voltage, maybe? Um, that place was wild. Uh, but anyway, Helford was there. And at the time, Brian Bart and I, we are big part of our show we we played we had wirelesses and so we had this guitar duel that we would do and so we'd get out on the floor and you know trade licks back and forth and Halford's going that guitar duo thing that you do that was really cool I really like that you know so so that was that was pretty neat but they uh they had one night um it was a uh Long Island tea night and the drinks were served in beer pitchers. So oh, Jesus. <laughs> Long Island teas and, and beer pitchers. Oh, there's so, a lot of drunk people like, there. <laughs> oh my God. Oh well, my God. Yeah. And, and Mr. Nibs was the premier club here in town. I mean, some people would argue it was the caboose, but I love Mr. Nibs. This place was a freaking dump. And you'd walk on the, you'd step on the carpet and your feet would stick to the floor. And it was, it was like a fire waiting to happen. And it's like, I still think they busted it out once and just literally started the whole place on fire and burned it. Oh, down. I have no doubt that that, yeah, I, I yeah. Um, well, I, <laughs> but there was something about it. Well, it's kind of like the Minneapolis version of, uh, I don't know, CBGBs or something, but um, yeah, we, we did a show there um, with Nazareth um, at Mr. Nibs that mm -hmm. talking about imbibing, imbibing alcohol Oh my God, I've never seen a group of human beings consume more alcohol in my life, but uh, they were, Dan McCafferty sang his ass off, um, you know, we're, we're, dog, all, all that stuff. Were you guys just, pretty much the go-to band to get opening slots for any national acts coming through Minnesota? For a while there, yeah, we definitely were on a run. Um, the other thing that was kind of crazy for a while, we had bands coming out to see us. So we had, um, we're playing the Longhorn um, downtown Minneapolis one evening, look out, and there's Dickie Betts and Greg Allman 
um, Fran Tarkin wow. was a, a neighbor of, uh, of uh, Greg Allman's and um, they had already played their show and they were looking for a club to go to. So Tarkin and brought him out to the Longhorn and we look out and we see, you know, this, they had a huge entourage. It was probably maybe 25, 30 people. And um, so that night, um, act, Dickie Betts and Greg Allman actually got up and did four songs. Um, Greg played my Flying V. It, it, he's not, he wasn't a shabby guitarist by any means, but Greg played my V and then uh, Dickie Betts played Brian's Les Paul. And they sat in with our drummer and bass player and did uh, oh, One Way Out and trying to think two or three other tunes off the you know, live wow. Fillmore album. Wow. Um, so, you know, they, they get done. Um, and then we, you know, finished the night. They stuck around. Greg comes up to me and, uh, you know, shakes his hand. Hey, thanks for letting me play your guitar. I said, are you kidding? You know, God, what an honor. He says, well, we'll shake my hand again. I, you know, shook his hand again. And I felt there was a little something in the palm of my hand. And I happened to look down and, um, well, anyway, we we had something to share for later on that evening. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So that was one night. And then um, we had a singer. Um, this was back in the oh, 79, 80 time frame. Um, a fellow by the name of Zeno, his stage name, Randall Hogan. Um, but Zeno was the original singer in Cheap Trick. Trick, oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't and, know. I didn't know he had Dare Force history. Yep, he was in Dare Force for about a year. And um, so um, Zeno was in the band and we're playing another dive, kind of kind of like the East Side version, Mr. Nibs, it was called Rockies. And um, so who comes waltzing in? Um, uh, you know, the, the, the Robin Zander and, you know, a couple bodyguards and some, you know, some of his, people come in and caught the set you know of course he and Zeno went to high school together and Robin Zander was singing in coffee houses before he he joined Cheap Trick and the story uh depending upon who you ask Zeno said he, he quit and of course the other version is that he was fired I I tend to believe the latter um version of the story but uh anyway so they they came out and saw us we did a show in Rockford too, and I got a chance to go out to Robin Zander's, or uh, excuse me, Rick Nielsen's house and um, check out just a fraction of his guitar collection, which was just mind-boggling. But uh, so Cheap Trick comes out one night, and then um, probably the topper though, there was another club called Boyd's in the River. Yeah. Um, that was a, a great Boyd's. venue. It was there were um, it was two floors, so you'd have a band on the you know the the downstairs floor and a band on the main floor. And you'd alternate sets, you know, when one band was taking a break, you know, the other band would play. So people were going, you know, back and forth, uh, up and down. Well, I, we were on the, the main floor and there's a rumor going around, hey, um, Van Halen's here. And I thought, yeah, right. I look out back of the soundboard. Here's David Lee Roth with his arms crossed, just checking us out. And I mean, it was, I, I knew instantly it was him. And then I look in front of me, here's Alex Van Halen dancing. Um, the only one that wasn't there was Michael Anthony, um, but uh, uh, Eddie was there too. And um, oh, it was such a bummer. Our crew was so efficient in tearing down the gear that they had, by the end of the night, when we had a chance to talk to these guys, 
um, we of course we wanted to jam with Eddie. All this all the stuff was packed up in yeah. the truck. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and so we were just beside ourselves. But um, but they were super cool. Gave us um, backstage passes for their show the next night at the St. Paul Civic Center. So we got a chance to to catch their show the next night. I think they they maybe they did a couple nights in town. I I forget. But um, so it's kind of like what's with these Dare Force guys? You know, everyone's coming out seeing well, them that, play. That, you know, what's that, that? That begs a question because what you're, you know, everything you've just said so freaking interesting, and it also almost reminds me of of the Twisted Sister story in some way, where up and down the East Coast they're packing theaters, or you go to Europe, and I mean, did you guys get major label interest? You had to have. Yeah, we we did. We were on the cusp of you know a couple of things, um, but it. it um, a couple of factors at play one management was lacking just you know truth be told we just didn't have anyone uh i wish i would have known michael back in those days i'm sure we probably would have gotten signed to a, a major label deal but um we didn't have that kind of representation and they didn't have that kind of kind of cloud in fact the, the show at um that we headline at uh the med sports and i told you about the the stereo 101 gig um there was a, a guy who had engineered some Zeppelin uh, albums. Um, Marsh Productions was booking us at the time. And this fellow, I can't recall his name, but uh, he came out, you know, caught the set. Um, but the issue with that, um, and another interesting story. So on my way is this, <clears throat> excuse me, this, you know, hit and, you know, Brian wrote the tune, Brian Bard. And um, so he, um, there was another band from Iowa called DBC. I don't know if you yep. know. Uh, I, I, I love that album. Yeah. Well, Johnny Bowen was yes. their, yep. their drummer. Drummer. Yeah. And um, they were signed. They were signed to a subsidiary of, of Sony's called Alpha Records. Yep. And they had a deal. And they were slated to go on the road with uh, Van Halen and... Um, Oh my God! Who else? Um, Jay Giles band. They did some shows with John Mellencamp. Well, anyway, they, they were on the cusp of breaking. Yeah, well, they wooed Brian away from the band. In fact, they got the two of us confused. Uh, they, they thought I was. They thought Brian was me, and vice versa. Anyway, long story short, on my way is breaking. And Brian decides to bolt, you know, he sees his chance at stardom with DVC. He also, the, the sneaky little devil, he knows damn well that I'm going to keep the band going, which I, I did, of course. So the night that we played um, at the Met, Brian actually was not in the band. He was in DVC. He was there at the show. <laughs> and so um, I'll never forget, before we went on, um, they were, the, the, the station was broadcasting live, you know, in the, in the stadium. And they played on my way on the air before we went on. And the place just goes ballistic, you know, before our set. And here's Bart out in the audience watching all this. And, you know, later on, he, he told me he's just kicking himself in the posterior. But um, so, you know, the guy that writes the hit song, you know, leaves the band right when we're getting, you know, label interest. Um, but it, it, it turned out okay. What happened was um, Alpha folded, uh, DVC broke up, 
the original drummer that we had in Dare Force, God rest his soul, Mark Miller, a fabulous drummer, developed focal dystonia in his wrist and couldn't play anymore. That um, show with Kiss was one of the last shows that we did with Mark. He literally could no longer play. Well, it just so happened that there was a drummer looking for a gig. Brian brings in Johnny Bolin into the fold. So for the last five years or so, um, uh, Johnny was our drummer in Dare Force. So he's on the Making Our Own Rules album and, and that, uh, you know. And, and it's amazing, like what you're saying, I, I've heard that tale so many times where like labels just can't leave you guys alone. They can't just go, okay, well, Dare Force is good. Let's sign them. They have to fuck with you and take people out of the band and try to move people. I never understood that. Yeah, well, we had another um, close call of, um, you know, the, the original band, uh, the, the run ended in 87. And, um, you know, Brian and I still, we wanted to give it one last shot. So we thought, well, you know, let's reform the band, but we're going to do it with, with three new guys. So we put out a record in 89 called Firepower. And we had a, a singer by the name of Carl Young, you know, Killer Pipes, um, Dean Viasio on bass, Paul Peterson, our drummer. And we spent a year um, in Brian's studio recording all the tracks. We had everything done, but we didn't have a singer. Um, Carl came in and did the vocals at the last minute. And the record was doing really well. And we're starting to get bites from, I think, Polydor was one. Uh, I think Atlantic might have been another one. Um, and all of a sudden, Carl just, you know, he says, well, you know, I'm really not a rock singer. I, I really, I kind of want to do like more of a Michael Bolton, you know, kind of uh, soul type of thing. It's like, what? Fuck. You know? <laughs> so he flakes out. And then um, the bass player, uh, his wife was in the hospitality industry and she was constantly getting transferred. Well, anyway, she gets transferred to Phoenix or Detroit or something. So just as that record is starting to gain attention, you know, two of the main players, you know, are, are out the door and it's hey, like, it you know, just, uh, you, know, you, you the car's you, not falling in, in place properly at the right time. So you I mean, need to write a book, like how to be the biggest band in your region and almost get signed. Yeah, yeah, you know, not not the story of success, the story of how you almost had success over and over because, yeah, you know, that's that's what I always think of Dare Force is like, God, these guys were like on the cusp, just ready, just ready, just ready. Why didn't Dare Force oh. get signed? Why did every other regional band I, get, I get signed? I get that question asked all the time and it, it, it kills me. I mean, the the, the band that we had, for a while there, you know, the original four piece, and then we had Dave Reese, who I mentioned, you know, later went on to join Accept. That five piece version um, came out right around the time that, um, um, oh, who am I thinking of here? Um, ah, it's gonna drive me crazy. Um, the British band, the young guys, Mutt Lang produced them. Um, Def Leppard. Def Leppard, thank you. Um, they came out right at the same time as we had that incarnation of Dare Force. And I heard um, th that first album, what was it? Uh, On Through the Night. On Through, Through the, the night. night. And I thought to myself, we 
could blow these clowns off the stage. I mean, the production was great, but I mean, the guitar work and the songs, I, I mean, uh, truth be told, I, I, I thought it was kind of lame. And I, I, I thought, I mean, if these guys can get a deal, holy crap, um, there's no reason why we shouldn't be signed. But, um, you know, we had some turmoil with Dave, um, you know, some substance abuse issues and that kind of stuff. And, you know, another situation where, you know, killer lineup and something. You gets know, that's, that's, that's the, the sad story of, of rock and roll of so many bands that, yeah. you know, every, everything is gelling and then somebody's head gets whacked because they're dealing with substance or personal issues or your manager turns out to be an idiot. And, you know, (laughs) every opportunity is, is lost because of stuff that is sort of out of your control. It's just, that's the way fate dealt the cards to you. And again, there's so many bands that you sit back and go, well, why not that one? Why not that one? Why not that one? Because the albums were great. The shows were great. They had the following. What was, what was missing? And, you know, it, it, as much as it's always about having a great lineup and great music, it is also about timing. It's got to be the luck. right time and luck plays a yeah. huge impact. Absolutely. Well, um, Firepower is a prime example of that. 89, you know, the killer album um and here we are you know coming out with you know uh, probably a can of aquanaut or aquanaut each uh, aquanet in our hair i should say you know the end of the big hair well you know uh, grunge was just around the corner yeah so, i was gonna say like, three three years later you would have been dead as as grunge killed everything yeah so it's just again you know poor poor timing um but um Damn it, I'm a stubborn Irishman and I'm still at it. And maybe, just maybe this time around, um, Lady Luck will uh will smile. Well, yeah, uh, let's let let's let's talk a little bit about your um your solo album that, that just came out of well, when this airs, it'll have come out a couple weeks ago. But uh, you know, why a solo album? Well, um interesting. I I um you know I, I I took a detour. I um, after '89. I mean, I thought, okay, you know, you you really got to get the plan B here. I dropped out of high school after 10th grade and started. I actually started playing clubs when I was 14. So, but in the back of my mind, I thought, well, if I haven't achieved you know fame and fortune by the time I'm 30, I'm not going to be playing you know in a bar band when I'm 40 for a living. So, I. Um, I went from a GED to a PhD in clinical psychology. I moved to uh, Ohio um, and attended the Ohio State University. I've, I've got some lovely um, diplomas on the wall but that, that you can't see. But um, anyway, I lived in Columbus for about eight years, um, did a postdoc there after I got my doctorate, met my wife out there, came back to Minnesota in 2001, and then we had a family. And so I was out of the, the music biz for a while, but I, you know, wanted to, to play. So after the kids were a bit older and I had more time, you know, to do something, started knocking around with some, you know, musicians, um, had, had a band uh, for a while called Crossroader that put out a, a pretty cool um, EP. Another band, great lineup, the singer's hearing, he develops hearing loss and has to quit the band after we release the EP. <laughs> 
So anyway, um, the guitarist from that band and I um, were kind of scratching our head after the singer um, left, uh, Sean Smith. And I said, well, what would you think about um, coming back out with Dare Force? Um, and you know, the, the other guitarist's name was Kelly Peterson. And he said, you know, I kind of thought you were going to say something like that. Um, so I called up Brian, uh, Brian Bard, and I, and I wanted to get his blessing on it. I, he wasn't going to be involved. You know, he had a studio business going great guns. Um, but I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't dare think of doing that without, you know, his approval, his blessing, his blessing. so to speak. So called him, he said, yeah, that's cool with me. Just so you have, you know, at least one of us from the original band. So re recruited Brian Lawrence in our original bassist. And um, so we came back out and um, put out an album with Kelly in 2018, Calling Your Name, um, the last Air Force record. Kelly leaves, we got another guitarist. Um, this was early, early 2020. And we were going to record Dare Force 5. We had, you know, some songs um, in mind to do that. And the pandemic hits and political bullshit hits. And long story short, I'm playing with three guys who have a far different worldview of things than, than I do. And I just got to the point where um, it just became untenable to, you know, to continue as a band. I mean, you if you're going to create music, you've got to, there has to be some commonality um, in terms of, you know, how you're, how you think about right. stuff. Um, well, I saw you open, I saw you guys open for Tom Kiefer at um, Medina. At Medina. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great show. Um, we did. It was great. Um, keep, thank you. Kiefer and autograph uh, mm -hmm. on the bill too. That was a blast. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, after, um, after Kelly left and, and then, uh, you know, we had another guitarist that replaced him. Um, but um, it, it just, we had, we jumped a shark <laughs> pretty much. Um, and it, it just, um, it, it, it just wasn't working. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking around those, the three of those guys went on to, you know, they've continued with a, another band of their own. Um, but I thought, okay, well this time around, and I, you know, I, Again, a stubborn Irishman, I'm not going to stop. Um, but I thought I, I'm not going to continue Dare Force. I, I, I thought that, you know, by that time, you know, the, that chapter had run its course and I wanted to, to you know, to do something. Um, so I call up Brian, Brian Bart. I said, you know, what, what do you think? You know, what do you, why don't you do a solo album? And so I, it was, you know, his suggestion, something I thought of doing for years, but just never had the, you know, the opportunity um, to do it. So what better time, you know, a global pandemic, great time to record a solo album. So I started doing tracks with him, um, just myself in May of last year. And um, I played all the guitar, you know, uh, lead, slide, acoustic, bass, did all the guitar tracks, all the vocal tracks, had um all that in the can, but I, I needed a drummer. I was, I thought about attempting that for about two seconds. And, you know, I, I can hack around on a kit, but by no means am I, you know, I have no business thinking of, uh, you know, pulling a Paul McCartney and, and doing everything. Um, so I, I had, had known Joe, um, you know, we, we were acquaintances, um, but I, uh, had heard of him and, um, 
gotten to know him a little bit, really liked him. And I, I knew he was a great player. Good old Facebook messenger sent him a, you know, a note. Hey, Joe, would, you know, you want to play in my record? And he says, well, send me some tracks. And the next thing I know, he's in the studio banging out seven tunes in an afternoon and just playing like a machine. And so it was the, the two of us on the record. And, um, I, you know, I mentioned to him, I said, you know, I'd be kind of fun, you know, to spice it up a little bit with some keyboards on a track or two. You know, I'm not a keyboardist. He goes, well, I, I got a guy we can call. He, he says, yeah, he's the original keyboardist from UFO. And I went, huh? You got to be kidding me. And he says, yeah, Danny Pavernell. Um, I met him out in New York. Here's his number. So I'm in another messenger call. So I'm on, you know, messenger with Danny, who's living in the south of France and send me some tracks. Sure, I'd love to play in your record. So the next thing I know, we're flying tracks back and forth from France and he's on, you know, three tunes on the record. And um, so by, by this time, I mean, the thing was really taking shape and I was just, I mean, the, the mixes that, I, you know, Brian and I were side by side um, at, at the mixing console and I just, you know, I'd, I'd get a CD of mixes um, and we live on opposite ends of the metro area. So I'd leave Brian's house, you know, flip the disc in the, the uh, CD player on the way home. And I just was thinking, man, this sounds really freaking good. <laughs> and I, it, it just continued to build. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I, I definitely want to put a band together behind this. I mean, it's a solo album. I mean, I'm, it's just me and Joe basically, uh, I'm, I'm virtually all the tracks, um, but I, I wanted to put a band together to play out live, to play those tracks. And then, you know, I want to record another album too. But at this time around, I thought I'm going to be a benevolent dictator and it's going to be Johnny O'Neill. It'll be my band. I'm going to call the shots. I'm not going to be, you know, a, a no, share in the, no share in the spotlight. Well, um, I, it's a band. I mean, but it, it's a band under under my name. Yeah. But I mean, I, I four I've wheels got... and a steering wheel for a reason. Four wheels, one steering wheel. Yeah, it, yeah. And so I, um, you know, Joe was my right hand right hand guy from the start. Um, but I had a couple other guys in mind. Um, John Funk, my guitar player, who's been in a band called the Good Bars uh, for several years here in the Twin Cities. Yep knew him um super nice guy outstanding guitarist message him hey you want to you know join my band and he had heard about you know the record coming out and he was just totally psyched he was an old dare force fan and um so he was just tickled pink to you know to jump on board and then the uh the, the last uh, link the last piece of the puzzle um you know we were the three of us were rehearsing and we're got to get a bass player and we, you know we're kind of scratching our heads you know thinking about who we could line up and and joe mentions uh well you know there was paradox and i thought oh my god why didn't i think of it benny craig you know yeah. i've been in this band paradox that uh was around at the time that dare force was was See, another big band and i want to say i got it i'm sorry john i want to interrupt you and just say at the time um, when I was in high school in the early 80s, the three bands that ruled the Minneapolis scene was Dare Force, Paradox with John Eller, and the third one was Bren's Band Obsession. Now, granted, yeah. there's others, but those were the three that I always went out of my way to go see. 
Yeah. Well, it's funny because Joe ended up playing drums, you know, um, Obsession became Funhouse, who became yeah. Rattling Bones. Well, Joe uh, became their drummer um, when they they switched gears to, to Funhouse. So there's a connection there. But with Paradox, um, you know, Joe mentioned Paradox. I thought, Benny, be perfect. So I get him on Messenger. Hey, Benny, want to be want to be in my band? He goes, Well, you know, anybody else? I would have said no. He said I actually was thinking about, you know, I. He was taking guitar lessons at the time with John Eller, you know, yeah. the two of them had played in Paradox and John Eller is just phenomenal musician, uh, just a wonderful guy. Another person um, that should have should have done something as far absolutely. as like, and, absolutely. and that's not taking anything away from John. He's got a great career. He, he's done a lot of stuff. And, and if any of you guys ever visit the Minneapolis area, once all this COVID shit's over, you got to come and see one of the nights that John does at the um, Mr. Or not Mr. What am I saying? At Nice. He does. Well, that's, no, that, that's no longer um, that that venue is is gone. Um, well, they rebuilt it and he was doing a, he was doing a night there. Oh, is he still? He was back doing that then. Yeah, okay. but now everything got shut down again because of, yeah. of COVID. But well, he's just a phenomenal musician, oh, super, super yeah, nice guy. Yeah, and just a super nice guy. But um, so anyway, Benny says, Well, you know, I was thinking about, um, and Benny had been doing a, a rockabilly thing called Stock Car Called Desire, and he was playing an upright bass of all things. Um, and they actually um, got a fair amount of traction with that. But um, he said, you know, anybody else, I would have thought, no, nah, I'm not really interested in playing, you know, bass again. But he said, there was no way I was going to tell you no. So he comes over for a quote unquote audition. Um, you know, that night I, we said, well, Benny, you want to join the band? You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and we we're looking at each other. Did, did Benny pass the audition? Yeah. So it was like it just natural chemistry. And so, um, you know, the four of us, um, just click I, I, when when lightning strikes you know it and so it it just um I, i'm it's it kind of harkens back to the early days of dare force we're like you know a, a bunch of kids again we've got this new band we've you know new material and you know we're we're going to record with with the full band on the next album um but um yeah are, 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 are you are you finding i mean because we're, you're 40 years down the road from when Dare Force was all over the map. Are you finding that there's still a lot of knowledge, um, you know, love for Johnny O'Neill and for Dare Force 40 years down the road? You know, it's interesting. I, I, um, when the band, when Dare Force came back out and then with the solo album too, um, I had so many, you know, musicians in town um, talking to me about how they used to come out and see the band and, and what a big influence the group was on them. And I, I mean, just unsolicited, of course. And I was just kind of shocked at, um, I mean, not to, you know, sound too um, pompous about it, but you know, there's there's definitely a legacy that Dare Force has in the in the the Midwest. And as as time went on, I just you know realized that um, we made far more of an impact than I had realized. So I mean, there there are definitely um, still Dare Force fans out there. Um, they're thrilled about the new record, but there's um, 
there are also, I think, you know, there's a younger crowd that's rediscovering, in, in my estimation, what's the golden era of, of rock and roll, you know, early 70s to mid 80s. I mean, you know, Zeppelin through, um, you know, Rat and Dokken and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, Aerosmith and Thin Lizzy and, um, you know, a whole new uh, cohort, if you will, of, of younger people that are discovering that music. You know, people always talk about, well, hard rock is dying and guitar is falling by the wayside. Kids aren't playing guitar as much anymore. And, you know, you hear that every so often, but um, there's there's definitely a resurgence of, of, of younger people that are kind of rediscovering um, the roots of, of what what's out there today. And I, I think hard rock is like, um, metal, if you will, it, it's, it's become an established genre that is not going to die. It's just, it's like the blues or jazz. It's going to be around um, yep. for, for years to come. You know, there's going to be cycles where maybe it, you know, falls in and out of favor somewhat, but in terms of it, you know, the, the death of metal or hard rock, uh, that's just a myth. Um, it, it, Although just... I, I, I don't think we'll ever see the the glory days of the of of the early '80s of the '80s when when rock was just for a decade. Came. Yeah, yeah. Well, Michael, well, the, as you well know, I mean, no. the radio and record industry has just completely been turned upside yep. down since those days. Since those days, you know, the advent of the internet, and and also you've got everyone and their brother, you know, putting out releases in their home studios and i mean there's a lot of really talented artists out there um but there's a lot of um there's a lot of crap shit, if you will yeah so you know back in the day used to be like you had um you know half a dozen releases that you'd wait for the new zeppelin album or the new stones record or you know the new bowie record and, and everyone was all sites and you'd go to the record store and you'd spend time looking at the liner notes and just kind of taking in the whole experience. Well, you know, these days with, you know, people streaming a single here, a single there, and you, you know, you don't have that. Um, there's not that same. Experience. You don't have that same. And yeah, you don't have the same involvement and commitment to music that, that you did 40 years ago. I mean, we, we, we love that. I mean, part of the, the beauty of this podcast is, is, you know, like just last week we were telling, talking about kiss fans of like, if you weren't a kiss fan during the late seventies, early eighties, you don't know how strange it was to be a kiss fan back then that mm -hmm. back to creatures of the night, we all sit here mm -hmm. and go, yeah, we loved it. It was an incredible album, but nobody Absolutely. gave a crap about the band at, at that point in their career it was just yeah. they were they were they were laughed at and mm -hmm. you know I, I i told us tell the story many times you know i went to grew up in bloomington so i went to college or college high school at thomas jefferson and i can't tell you how many times i would sit here and go god am i gonna wear my kiss dynasty t-shirt to school today because if i do i'm gonna take a lot of shit for this over the course of the day and i would still wear it but you would walk down the halls and kiss sucks, man. Led Zeppelin rules. And it's just, 
but I also think that music now is a lot like TV. Back in the day, you had five channels. It was really easy to keep track of the shows. Now there's right. so many shows out there that I probably yeah. would love, but how do you know? They're on TNT, AMC, Netflix, all, and, and, and music, to your point, John, is the same way. How do you keep up with the new bands? How do you hear it all when you don't have a standard um, set of labels anymore and people are producing their own songs? Right. How do you find it? Yeah. And radio, I mean, it's become so formulaic. And unless you are on, you know, a major label, I mean, the days of, you know, FM station playing deep cuts or God forbid the whole side of an album. I mean, you know, that long. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, KQ is not going to play new music by any classic artist. They'll play Mm -hmm. the classic tunes by the classic artist, Mm -hmm. but they aren't going to, they aren't going to, you know, make a big yeah. deal out of, except for ACDC. Well, yeah, yeah. A- a- ACDC is unique unto themselves, but the you, know, you know, how many times do I remember KQ? Oh, this is a new track from Rush. This is a new track from Pink Floyd. This is the new track from Pat Travers, mm-hmm. you know, Pat Benatar, whoever it was. Now Pat Benatar released a new album. KQ wouldn't give it the time of day. They'll still play mm-hmm. all the old stuff. So, yeah, radio is is useless for new rock. Yeah, but- except except for like we have a, one in town, ninety three X, which is a heavy, heavy. You know, and they'll play the classic heavier stuff, Metallica, but they will actually play the new Ghost single or that type of genre. But they're the only ones other than KWB. Yeah. I'm actually, you know, I I'm hoping to to get. Uh, get something on on the air with those guys too but you know you it, a it's a better shot there than anywhere else you know it it's tough i mean you, you you can get on you can get play on the uh the hometown shows that they do of course i mean that's do they that's, still have that we used to have that here in detroit and i was lucky enough to get my band on a few of them but that shit's long gone oh it is it's long gone yeah yeah it's there's still a couple yeah. yeah, there's still a couple, but you know, you know, to the point of when you played the Met Center for Stereo 101, tell me the last time any radio station in any major market did anything to champion the local, regional, unsigned bands. Yeah, you know, it's a funny story that you know you mentioned that Michael. Um, there was a that we were part of a nationwide. I, I forget, you know, who the um, corporation was that owned stations across the country at the time, but Stereo 101 was one of a chain of stations and there was another similar one in New Jersey and they did the same kind of thing, the hometown record and the band that happened to be the, the version of Dare Force in New Jersey was on Jovi. Bon Jovi. Yep. So here's Dare Force with On My Way and Bon Jovi with Runaway. Well, you know, we... <laughs> We know how that turned out, but I mean, we, we were literally in that same competition. I mean, you know, in our, in our town, but they did the same thing in Jersey. Um, and you know, it's, it, uh, I don't know if it was you know, better management or luck or. Like, well, it's, it's, it, again, as we were saying, it's all of it, the right place, yeah. the right time, the right market, the right person. Um, you know, for, for the most part, I mean, Minneapolis, had a great local rock scene, but it never exploded to become national. 
Yeah, I don't know why you lost me here. Yeah, we uh, lost your video there. Well, it see. did get national. It just got national in a different way because it was, to me, we've got the Minnesota music disease. And I talk about that from time to time. And there's still a lot of people here that, that live locally that feel like if you're not suicide commandos, replacements, soul asylum, or anything of that genre, you yeah. guys suck. Yeah. yeah. And it's, well, it's awful. I have to, you know, I, I want to be careful, but you, I, you're absolutely right. I, I think there, especially with the, the local press for years, there was um, frankly a bias against hard rock, heavy metal bands. We were kind of the redheaded stepkids, um, you know. You, yeah, you get you, 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 you were you were the ones that were always selling out the clubs, but they didn't want to give you the recognition selling out the clubs and also um, selling out all the advertising that kept their rags going. Um, mm -hmm. But yet, who are, who are they writing their cover stories about? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Paul Westerberg. And, and I have nothing against any of that stuff. I like the replacements and soul asylum, all those right. guys, but that right. doesn't define what music is. It, I don't know. It, it, that's part of the problem of living here. It, Fuck, it, you, you got it bad eminem and fucking kid rock and madonna i got it <laughs> here for the last. seriously i mean yeah. look, everybody has that that fucking complaint i yeah. mean minnesota is no different than than no, us in that he's way a, but there's ted nugent right? though <laughs> well I'm, I'm talking about within the last you know 20 years i'm just kidding because if you go before that you know ted and iggy pop and the grand funk railroad and you know i mean all the yeah right michigan you know al you know bob alice Seger too bob was, yeah that's my point i mean yeah. we had all kinds of huge success in the 70s and then when you move into the 90s and 80s and you know madonna literally the biggest artists in the world between Eminem and, and Madonna at, at certain times yeah. in human history. I mean, from literally, you know, within 20 square miles of one another. That's yeah. that's pretty fucking crazy. It so, is. yeah. You know, and look, you know, with Minnesota, Prince is the obvious, you know, um, king of it all. Um, yeah. You're going to get bigger than that. Well, you know, that was the thing too. You know, we, we were debating, well, you know, do we go to either the east or west coast you know we, we kind of getting tired of um you know just the lack of good management and then uh, uh prince broke and then i thought well you know hopefully this will bring some attention to the twin cities hard rock scene um let's you know let's stick here we're rather be a big fish in a small pond when there's an artist of that stature breaking and every all eyes are on you know Minneapolis, but even with that, um, it still was really hard uh, for the hard rock scene to to gain the kind of attention that I, I thought would occur. Um, so well, I have we, to hand it to they, we had the same our our biggest you know band in this sort of situation that you were in Seduce did get you know they were in the uh, Penelope's movie and IRS released their record. But, you know, unfortunately, it, it didn't take off nationally. And I, you know, mm -hmm. but it's funny. They still pop their heads out once or twice a year, fill a club, you know. Yeah. Um, they just know, had redone, um, re, re, reissued. It's good stuff. Yeah. There's a band, uh, Milwaukee Bad Boy. Um, and they were signed to, um, I forget the label, um, you know, WKRP um, in Cincinnati, the beginning credits. You know, they show the the 
album covers on the wall of the studio there. Well, yeah. Bad Boys album covers on, you know, on the, the beginning credits of the show. But, um, you know, they were uh, a great band. And, you know, it was a, a, a major label. And I think they put out, you know, two records and it just just didn't go anywhere. Another another band, uh, I mean, I could think of a number of um, trapeze would be another example. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a group called Masters of the Airwaves, um, but the um, um, the bass player in that band, um, Randy Rand, went on to play with Autograph. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you ever get a chance to, um, and Masters of the Airwaves put out, I think just one or two records and was on a major label. I've, and I, again, I, the label escapes me, but if you ever get a chance to pick up one of their records, do yourself a favor and check it out. They were amazing. They had a guy playing pedal steel of all things through a Marshall just mm. cranked. And it was the killer songs, great vocals, really unique sound and you know, whatever reason, it just, it, you know, they got dropped and faded into. That's history. just, that's the story of every major city. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it, it is hard, you know, hard rock metal is always going to be the, you know, the, the ub- ugly stepchild in the music <laughs> industry that nobody's going to take seriously yet. The undercurrent is everybody loves it. I mean, it's got the most diehard commit. I mean, here we are 40 years later, still talking about these bands we loved as teenagers. Right. And I mean, I, there's something about the energy, um, the connection with the fans. Um, you know, I, I love different genres of music, um, but I always still come back to guitar based rock and roll. And there's something about, that style of music that just, for me anyway, it, nothing else moves me like that. And yep. you, you mentioned ACDC. I love those guys. I have such tremendous respect. Here they are, um, you know, mid seventies coming out with a brand new record that sounds freaking awesome. And, you know, people are, are loving it, but you, you just can't, there's, there's not that kind of energy to hip hop or, you know, I just wonder, it's a different world. That's, you know, you you want to talk about bands not getting big. You also have to do basic math. And I'm not being facetious. I'm being, how many songs have been written? I'm just not talking about written. Then ask yourself, how many songs were professionally recorded? And then how many of those songs were giving proper promotion? There's the greatest song ever written and the biggest hit that ever could have been mathematically was never was never given the time of day. What, what I mean by that is there's plenty of people with tons of talent who just didn't get the break or didn't. Yeah. That's 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 pure science. That's math. Mm-hmm. How many people have written songs and recorded songs? I know. I mean, I, I do that, too. I do the same thing you do. I'm 55. We're working on our next album now. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's it's like that old, uh, you know, it's in the boy and it's got to come out. You know, That's- oh, I, I, I am completely and utterly addicted to playing. Rock and roll. I mean, yeah, I me will too. I will do this until I am planted in the ground. I mean, I, you know. 
I share your passion, my friend. That's exactly where I'm at too. I get it. I I get it. Once you are infected, and if you truly are infected, there is no cure. <laughs> right. um, I always joke, and I, I always say, you know, when you're a kid, you think, geez, I want to do this because I want to meet chicks and do all this cool stuff. And then when you're 55, you go, you know what? I do it because I like to do it, and I love it, and I can't imagine life without it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> plus, plus your, your wife would get mad at you if you met chicks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't go over well. Well, and I almost wonder, do you think that maybe part of it too with the metal or rock, hard rock genre is it's, it's, it's always kind of been considered a teenage thing. So it's mm-hmm. like, you're supposed to grow out of that. It's like, oh, we don't listen to Van Halen anymore. We now listen to Barry Manilow. <laughs> no, the replacements or something like that. And that's, that's that's a little mellower that's toned down, you know. Yeah, whatever it might be. And it's considered a, a child thing. So yeah. no self-respecting adults could listen to metal. I, I don't think that's true anymore. Jesus Christ. I mean, before the pandemic, go to any you know Yeah, I think it I think Mark Mark is right. It's less true now because nowadays you're you're brought up with full exposure to everything that's out there everything that's available is is right there you're especially kids can consume it all mm-hmm. you know 40 years ago 50 years ago that was completely different i mean you were exposed to only what came in through the narrow channel of what was feeding you music mm-hmm. and right. yeah i mean i'm sure i'm sure there's a lot of parents that were like Oh, let them let them listen to Kiss. Let them go see Kiss in the '70s, early '80s. Mm-hmm. You know, when he becomes 25, 30 years he'll old, out he'll it. have just yeah. grown out of it. Yeah. yeah, you know that was the expectation. Mm-hmm. You'll discover something new, and it's like, no, it doesn't. Once it's implanted in you, it doesn't just get replaced. If you become a true music lover, you just add more music to your 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 playlists basically yeah Yeah. you know and you know and 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 it really becomes the diving down the family tree of rock and roll of you know just in in the 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 dare force family tree that you painted it's like oh okay so except david reese dare force xeno cheap Mm -hmm. trick Mm -hmm. you know all of a sudden these lines are being connected and you're going wow, there's got to be something cool here if all these various connections mm-hmm. are related. Bingo. And you start discovering new music. That, you know, that's part of how you discover music in this day and age is, mm-hmm. is going down that rabbit hole of, of rock and roll's family tree. But I, I still will preach heavily. It's like, if you are a heavy listener on something like Spotify, Spotify delivers so much incredible unknown music and unknown bands i have found you know growing up in the twin cities i was discovering music by picking up the new issue of krang at harpo's Mm -hmm. you know or strolling the aisles of great american music Mm -hmm. you can't do that anymore now i'm discovering music because spotify knows what i listen to knows Mm -hmm. what i like and goes well if you like this you should listen to this Mm -hmm. and you know is it always a home run? No, but I have found more music that way from bands that I've either completely forgotten about mm-hmm. or, or just like, I've never heard of these guys. How did yeah. I miss this? Yeah. Well, again, I just, I, 
for me anyway, nothing moves my soul and gets me pumped um, like guitar, hard rock. I, I mean, there's just it's basic, you know, and, it's simple, and it, it just it's it, it gives goes you goosebumps right, right to the bone. You know, yep. it, I, I, you know, jazz is cool. I mean, there's some phenomenal musicians, but um, I do my other alter ego as a psychologist. I, I do enough stuff up here i want something that's gonna hit me here and yep. moves my soul my emotion you um, know at, at at 50 plus years old i always say if you want to feel like you're 18 again go to a rock concert because by the time that show is done you are going to feel so young and yeah. energetic and your blood is pumping and yep. you're smiling and again nothing wrong with great jazz or great anything else but mm -hmm. I don't think any other genre other than a great rock concert the will just power, make you go energy. Yeah. Wow, I feel like that 12 year old kid, that 15 year old kid, that 18 yeah. year old kid. Yeah. And I'll, and, and sometimes I'll be at a show and I'll look around and I'm like, wow, I'm the only 50 year old standing. I mean, I, I've been to, I went to a cheap trick concert. I don't know, four or five years ago. And it's cheap trick. I've got to be on my feet, you know, banging you're, my head. You're a fan. I'm a fan. And I'm looking around and everybody else is sitting in their seats and the people were behind me were like, could you, could you, could you sit? I'm just like, I'm at a freaking rock concert. Yeah. What do you want me to do? I'm not coming here to sit in a lazy boy chair. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the guitars make you want to stand up and get excited. Absolutely. Yeah, Tommy, what happens? Remember when we were in Chicago, Tommy? Oh, at the Kiss concert? Yeah. The, 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 oh, the lady behind you? Oh, my God. Oh. Oh. I was thinking about the time that, that I was in Mankato with Bren, and we were seeing Cheap Trick, and they broke into the flame. And I'm Xander's playing. I'm in the second row and Bren's standing behind me. And these two guys in the front row, heavy set, they look like they came off a duck dynasty. They start <laughs> playing something. The two guys start making out. And the look on Xander's face was just like, and I look at Bren, and Bren looks at me, and I look up at Xander, and he's just like, <laughs> this day, whenever I, I run into Sandra, I always thing. say something to him because he's like, "Oh God, I remember that." <laughs> yeah. I mean, how 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 do you how do you go to a Kiss concert and sit down? Yeah. It's just like physically impossible yeah. for me. Right. Yeah, you can't. Right. You yeah. can't. It's just, it, you can't. And if you do, and if you're sitting down, there's something wrong. You don't belong there. <laughs> yeah wrong you, i mean you know come on how can you not respond to that kind of energy i mean i mean i i've been to so many kiss concerts when i was working with them i i remember seeing gene on stage every once in a while where there'll be a person near the front sitting down and he'll be like <laughs> you know he's like yeah. what are you doing <laughs> stand up yeah he has yeah. issues with people texting during the show too that's yeah. a whole different thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Johnny, you know, before Anyways. we wrap up here, um, where can people get more information on what you're doing on your album? Where can they follow you? Well, thank you for asking, Michael. Um, well, probably the, you know, the main areas of main sites would be my website, uh, johnnyoneal.com. 
That's uh, J-O-H-N-N-Y-O-N-E-I-L.com. No apostrophe. We, we Irish are discriminated against. We you know, suffer from apostrophe abuse. But um, that's, that's the main site. Also, uh, Facebook, Johnny O'Neill Official. Um, Instagram, same thing. Uh, Johnny O'Neill Official um, would be the, the, the main. Uh, and, 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 your, and your new album, you can find the it new album everywhere. To Dare, and you can, uh, you can get physical copies through Bandcamp, uh, bandcamp.com. Um, all this, you know, the usual suspects in terms of streaming and download were on Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, um, you, you know, you name it, it's, it, it's out there. Um, but if you, uh, you know, either go to my website or the, the Facebook page, um, you'll see a, a smart URL that Michael has nicely put together that has all the, you know, the different sites that we're on. Um, and also through CD Baby too, as well. So, um, but yeah, by all means, check it out and crank it up. And I, I think you'll enjoy what you hear. So if you, especially if you, if you enjoy Dare Force, you'll dig this. It's, it certainly um, has elements of Dare Force. There's always gonna be elements of Dare Force, whatever I do. But I, what I've tried to do is take a record that has a little more of a broader palette, if you will, in terms of the dynamics and the moods and instrumentation. And um, so I've tried to take people on a bit of a sonic journey and, um, but yet, you know, still remaining true to, to my roots. So, but uh, I'm really proud of the record and um, it's been a lot of fun uh, getting it, getting it out there and working with Michael has just been fabulous. And so I'm just eager to see what, what, uh, what's to come. So Awesome. Johnny, it was great having you sit down, share your little creature story. But I, I actually was more fascinated just by the, the history and the, you know, the Howie Band almost made it multiple times stories. Yeah, I, people say, well, between your psychology gig and your band stuff, you got to write a book. So I thought, well, maybe my kids are 30 or 40. <laughs> there, there's some stuff that I... I'm going to, you know, keep uh, on the down low until they're a little bit. Uh, yeah. You, you always write the book when you don't have to worry about pissing anybody off. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but it's been my pleasure. Thank you for thank inviting you. me. This is really you bad. Thank, thank you, Johnny. You know, great. Great to meet you guys and um, take care and have a, have a great evening. And thank rank you. It up, you thank know? you. you thank on. you.
that that was so much fun. I, you know, I, I can imagine there's Kiss fans out there going, oh, there wasn't enough Kiss talk. Well, you know what? This is our show. We say this all the time. And I, I was especially fascinated just getting the history of, of a, of a pretty successful regional act who, you know, was on the cusp of breaking it so many times and just hearing that history and how it, I don't know. I, that, that's the, that's rock and roll. I mean, Mark, you love reading those rock books. This was like a mini rock book for Minneapolis for one of the biggest bands in Minneapolis during the eighties. This was hearing those stories. Well, you know, it, it's funny, Michael, you know, I talked about it, uh, uh, you know, last week and we talked about it privately a, a lot of what, and, and trust me guys, in, in no way, even near in his, in his experience, but you know, I was in a band through the eighties that were in, we were in Kerrang, we were in Faces Rocks, we were in all kinds of fucking rock hard over in Germany. We we're, I mean, we were in all kinds of fucking magazines. Well, I bet you were in a magazine called Rock Hard. Yes, I was. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, there's the Tommy we miss. <laughs> so, but, but the, but the point of the thing is, is that even to this day, I still get people who get a hold of me. Hey, are you the drummer from that band? And I'm like, yeah. hey, I bought your cassette back in the '80s. Can you, you know, it's, it's almost like it's funny. You just start piling them up, and finally, I'm like, you know what? I I can go revisit some of that stuff and throw it up there, and you know, and and I'm in the process of doing that right now, right. you know, and um, you know, and when it's ready, I'm gonna, you know, I'll you guys will be able to. to be able to find it but it's funny like he talked about you know i know what circuit he was talking about because you know bon jovi when they were just some nobodies i didn't like them but god runaway you couldn't get off the fucking radio here in detroit and he mm -hmm. wasn't a there was no you know he was a nobody at the time but that boy that song got played like fucking crazy and there's a band out of windsor ontario called tease and yep. they didn't they didn't make it huge, but Boys Night Out, by, by the way, that's a great song. But, you know, they ended up having like a fan base down in Texas and, and a couple other, you know, spots, excuse me, spots around the country. We've talked about that on the show before, how some music is just regional. Which is so know. strange how that works out. I, I know it's crazy. But, you know, like I said, get, <laughs> it, this is this show is so timely for what's going on. Um you know, with me right now, like I said, going back into my, to my, my past catalog. And like I said, we sold thousands of tapes worldwide and I'm starting to, you know, at this age, go getting people contacting me again, nowhere in the same league as our guest, but it's the same thing though. <laughs> no, it, 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 it is, you know, like we said in, in, in the, in the interview with Johnny, every major city has this story different band yep. change the band name this story is repeated over and over and over again on you know a band that that can play their state their three state region and can you know you you were perfect mark the twisted sister story i mean go watch the twisted sister documentary even if you don't like the band my god you learned so much about how here's a band that could sell out anywhere they wanted in their tri-state area. You know, they they were the they were doing more 
in live shows than signed acts were doing. Yet for the life of them, they could not get any sort of a record deal in the U.S. They had to go to Europe to get signed, release an album through a small label, and then finally have a major label sign them after that. Bill, if you remember, Phil Carson, who ended up getting them signed, was told by the label bosses, if you bring me, if you even mention that band Twisted Sister, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> and Phil's like, the, but they're, they're but doing they, they just sold 3,000 people at the Palladium. Yeah, but, but just the music. <laughs> they just didn't just, like just, the look and all of that. That's well, really that what was it was. The, that was the whole thing, though. You know, it had such a stigma to it. That, that to me, is just absolutely fucking fascinating. You know? Um, people are weird. What do you do? It, 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 it really is just uh, just bizarro world. But, you know, I'm going to check out some Dare Force. I got to admit, I, I like... I, I don't I I've well here's of, the thing Dare, Dare, Dare Force albums at least yet I've been talking to Johnny about this but Dare Force albums aren't available on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere I mean you literally have to probably eBay to find a CD or vinyl or you know our our friends at No Name Records probably have some Dare Force yeah we can talk is, about is any of that up on any of that up on YouTube. Um, oh yeah, you'll probably find you can find stuff. Yeah. I mean, like that Met Center, that Met Center big show that he was talking about. Yeah. That performance is up on YouTube, which is you kind can, of interesting you because you get to see David Reese pre-accept playing with Dare Force. Right, and it's kind of there. They always reminded me of Thin Lizzy, kind of in a way. That kind of the because well you know he's Irish, twin guitars so. i don't know anything about them so i mean a twin yeah, guitar. It, I, that's just my that's my impression i'm not going to say that it's correct it's just you know they 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 didn't go you know they weren't a glam band they weren't they they didn't have a big quote visual identity that hooked you first which a no, lot of kiss fans would be like oh well it's twisted sister it's kiss it's motley crew these guys just played good solid hard rock metal and looked like the average kid playing metal back then where you bought your pants at the local rock shop and you cut up a t-shirt and, and you know as he said he went to Dayton's to buy some high heel boots and yeah and there was a band in Iowa called Litterer and it's yes. the same kind of thing yep that, that very much like dare force not necessarily that they sound the same but in the same vein of what michael was just describing not flashy just like guys that you went to high school with i mean again i think every one of our listeners no matter where you are even in outside of the u.s you could sit here and go oh yeah we had a band like that i remember this band from 20 years ago 40 years ago that you know was just the go-to band you would always go see them they were always headlining they were they were always opening for the national acts yeah, so much great. of that's out there and, you know and, and and again i love those stories you know because i think as you listen to more stories like that if you're in this business you can learn stuff you learn from the past so you try not to repeat it in the future I mean, yeah, and again, music is all about luck. It is all about timing. But if you can get everything else down, maybe you can sit here and, and make that call early and go, let's can this manager because we just don't feel good about him right now before he screws up a record deal for you. But you know what, it, Mike, it's, it's also like I, I, I told our guest, you know, at some point you make peace with that. And then you just do it because you want to. I mean, yep. the, 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 what, 
what's going on with Left 4 Dead is a great example. You know, a few thousand spins here, a few thousand spins on YouTube. Look, man, that's, to me, that's all I give a shit about. I'm glad people are enjoying it. Yep, you know it's all about I mean? the music. Yeah, and I love sharing it with people. It's, it's so much fun, and we just started working on a new batch of songs. Guys, I'm not going to get rich doing this. I, I, that's not the point. <laughs> we're getting we're getting rich doing the podcast people the other thing too i, I kind of want to address this real quickly we had johnny on today and we talked about stuff that wasn't just kiss stuff and it's like we've done what 416 episodes or whatever number we're on who who knows anymore and it's like we want to talk about other stuff too guys and there is more to the world than kiss there is yeah, we, I mean, if, if you've been listening to us since day one, you know we all love rock and roll, and we love well, talking the about the bands are, we love. Yeah, and the people are that complain are in the minority. Don't get me wrong, yeah. 99% of you guys are awesome, and you get it. And, you know, if you, you tune in, you tune out, whatever. But it, 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 it keeps me engaged in wanting to do this when we do these different things. Well, By you the know, way, next, on, next week's going to be the ultimate fucking kiss, geeky, all kiss fest. Yes. It's a re- oh. uh, we, we, we won't mention the name, but it is a returning guest. I think it will be his fourth time. But this is going to be his geeky and hardcore kiss. So if you guys were like, get the jacket. And, and, and if you love, if you love, <laughs> if you love what if episodes, this is going to be all minutia. What if with four geeky kiss fans? This is this is the one. This was one you you've been waiting for. If you, but see, I'm with Tommy, and 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 I'm pretty sure Mike. I love today. I thought. It was oh, fucking... I love this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no this, doubt. This this was you know yeah. Listen, I mean the 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 Kiss creature story, maybe not as long as you as a Kiss fan wanted, but again, I'm sitting here going, put yourself in the shoes of this young band, mm-hmm. just gets called. You can you got to get down here tonight to open for a kiss are you freaking kidding can you imagine mark could you imagine your head exploding if somebody said mark get to cobo hall to open for kiss and also too doesn't it say an awful lot about gene and paul because here you are famous they've rode the ride you had super kiss granted they were down at the time but there they are outside helping them haul gear in Oh yeah, yep. help them get ready for the show. I think that tells you everything you need to know about Gene and Paul. Yep, right there. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so homework for this week. We'll start with kind of a long shot question, but are you familiar with Dare Force? Were you? Uh, did you ever listen to him? Did you ever see him? Um, and what I would love is, if you're not, who is the Dare Force in your city? Who yeah, is that band favorite. that you remember should have been big, should have made it, was playing everywhere, sold out theaters, clubs, was the opener? Who was that band in your city? Um, I love people, that question. Mu- love people that. might discover some new music here because I love I love tracking down some of these old regional bands. And are any I'm, of you... And are any of you surprised that Mark was in a magazine called Rock Hard? <laughs> More importantly, 
if you have the issue of rock hard that Mark was in, we need With to see Lar it. Lar Lars Ulrich yeah, just, on the cover. Just don't Lars post Ulrich the photos online because we don't want to get pulled down. Yeah, Facebook will probably ban you if you post <laughs> Mark's photos from rock hard. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this was a fun, fun episode. Check out Dare Force. Check out Johnny O'Neill. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. If you're on Spotify, follow us. Subscribe on iTunes. We're still posting some of Tommy's amazing photos from the Kiss Asylum tour. Um, follow us on our social social network channels. One photo a day is coming up and Dude, I don't think there's been a dud yet in those photos. People are still just. You lost your audio, Mike. We lost your audio. I'm still here. Oh, okay. We lost what you were just saying about the photos. Um, oh. And that's when you cut off. You froze and we couldn't hear your audio. Anymore. Okay. All right. Let's, I'll, I'll start that again. So um, be sure you're following us on our social networks because we're still sharing Tommy's amazing photos from the Kiss Asylum tour. Who? And we'll do Crazy Nights next. Tommy Sumter. Tommy Sumter. Yeah. I'm, crazy listen, if I, can, if I can make an, a request, I'd love to see your photos of creatures and dynasty next. Yeah, get off well, your ass. I'll, okay, I'll send, you the, I'll send you the dynasty ones next, but I don't have the creatures yet. I'm still looking for the negatives. Get off your butt. Yeah, okay. Quit making a living, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What else have you got what to do? What about Arnie's? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why should I help people buy a house? Because I've got these two idiots waiting for these photos. Finally. <laughs> Not just two idiots. There's there's thousands of idiots waiting for your photos. Yeah, but particularly you two idiots. Yeah, okay. Fair Come enough. on, guys. Fair enough. All right. All yeah, right. Yeah. So so you you know your homework. You know where to go to answer the questions. Um, you got to tune in next week as well. It's going to be an amazing show. We'll see everybody next week. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.